Thank you very much. I would say, if you've got your Bibles there, I hope you do keep them open. Uh, we will be referencing the whole chapter, the whole verse, 1 to, 1 to 11, sorry. So from John 15, 1 to 11, keep them open because I'll be jumping backwards and forwards and making connections there. Um, before we kick off, why don't I, why don't I pray? Father, we thank you so much that we can gather here, that we can sing with gusto to our Lord and our Saviour, that we can be your wretched children and be made right with you, that you are a Father that so loves us, that you pull us out of whatever we're facing and you put your life into us. Lord, I pray that as we, we think about that, as we come to your word now, that you would stir us. Stir us to be your children that love you and eagerly desire to be more and more like you. Amen. Well, I was just chatting to um, Holly and Clem about their great holiday. And so this comes as a, a great shock for many people. But I have never understood the attraction of bushwalking. I've never understood it. I have plenty of family and friends, church family. My wife absolutely adores it. I don't get it. I don't get bushwalking. I don't get hiking. I find it strange that someone would work so hard during the week, during the term time, to then reward themselves by going for a walk. <laughs> that Talia would spend all her money saving, saving, saving to go to New Zealand, to go to Tasmania and go for a walk. It just baffles me. When you want to have a break, to have a holiday, you end up actually making your life harder. And you can compare this to camping, but at least with camping, you're stationary. I love camping, but I sit around. There's just got to be better ways to spend your time. I just don't understand. <laughs> Tali and her family love it. She loves walking, but me, it's not my thing. Her family, they know it's not my thing. I didn't grow up bushwalking, and I love the great outdoors. I love it. But if you're going to go from A to B, just run. It's faster. Or do something downhill, like skiing or surfing. But just why walk? And so when everyone goes on walks, I'm happy to sit out. It's something I don't need to worry about because I'm just not really a fan. Bushwalking is great for other people. Like, I respect you for making your life harder than it has to be. But I'm pretty content never doing it. I'm fine without it. Now, as we think about the, the, the Bible reading that we've had today in John, do you think that some of us treat obedience a little how I treat bushwalking? We think about obeying Jesus' commands and we're like, it's fine for other people. I respect you for making your life harder than it needs to be. But it's not really my thing. And I think these verses today, they really help us situate obedience and its fundamental role in how we relate to God, how he relates back to us and why we can't view it like I view bushwalking. Because actually, actually it's, it's crucial, absolutely crucial for us who believe in Jesus. And friends, it isn't a burden. Look at what it says in verse 11. It is a great, great joy. So as we step through these three verses today, we're just punching them out, 9, 10, 11. We see a, a love that remains. We see a love that obeys, and we see a love that fulfills. The love that remains is the love that obeys. And that love, 
That love fulfills. We are filled with joy as we understand the connection of how they all fit together. And so firstly, we see a love that remains, verse 9. And we need to remember that these, these verses, they follow Jesus' vine analogy. Like we heard from Brody last week, you need to be connected to the vine. He is the true vine. And so here now we come to verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. What does that mean? It's so crucially important. Being connected to the vine, to have life, you need to be connected to Christ. And it's that reality that lays the foundation of absolutely everything that we understand. It it lays the foundation of that vine analogy and what we're looking at today. Look back with me in verse 3 and 4, what he says there. He says, you are already clean, so remain in me. If you believe in Jesus, you are united to him. But that word remain, it just means staying. But to remain, you have to be in that position in the first place. And so between verses 4 to 8, he says it eight times, remain in me. So when we read these Bible verses, as Bible-believing Christians, as those united to Christ, we can rest assured that if you believe in Jesus, you are united to the vine. But then what is this love? And how do we actually remain there? Well, verse 9 is huge. I, I, it really baffled me during this week. I can't get over Jesus saying that he loves us. Note the past tense. He's always loved us as the Father has loved him. This isn't really a description our world can fathom. This isn't the love a mother has for a child. This isn't the love a husband has for his wife. This is something else, something that you and I can't really comprehend by ourselves. Despite how much I love Billy, my unborn daughter, my wife, it comes nowhere near how God feels for Jesus, feels for his son. And it is so counterintuitive to our world. It's through obedience and suffering and sending a son to death. It's a far cry from a postmodern world that says, I want comfort, me-centeredness, self-centeredness. It's money and sex and power, whatever you want, whatever makes you happy. But when it comes down to it, there is no one like the son. He is the apple of the father's eye. The father entrusts all things to his son, including all judgment. That's what we see in John 5. When it was necessary to choose a savior, God chose to send his own son. And in doing that, He is saying that all things, he's giving him all things, that everything will be consummated in the Son. And so the Bible tells us, as far as the Son, as far as the Father is concerned, the Son is so important, so central to all that the Father is, that unless a man receives the Son, he cannot receive the Father. And then the Son loves his Father so much so overjoyed to know and be known by him that he acts in perfect agreement with the Father. These aren't my words. These are the ones who sent me. Not my will, but your will. He is bound. He is united to the Father so much so that that love, that love that he has overflows into obedience, even obedience to death on a cross. 
And that's what we read in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, what Paul says. God, Jesus, reconciling the world to himself. That's the love that we remain in. That is the love. That intensity and depth of the Father's love for the Son matches the depth and intensity that the Son has for us. That's what he's saying. It is so close that we are transformed by actually being united to Jesus through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit when you believe in him. A bond that is inseparable. It's inseparable. It's unbreakable. If that actually doesn't blow your mind, nothing will. We are united to Jesus Christ. We are united to the Father. And it's this kind of truth that we need to lay as a foundation. It's kind of like a marriage. You know, if you're married, you don't wake up one day and be like, oh, I'm feeling 75% married today. It's better than yesterday. It was 55% married. It's like bungee jumping, marriage, bungee jump. You're in or you're out. You are united. But within that relationship, within marriage, you can have ups and downs. You can have better and worse experiences. Times of great seasons or deep, deep valleys. And the Christian life, it's not just about reaching this ethical standard. The goal is actually to know the one who saved us, to become like the one who saved us. And as that relationship deepens, we learn to love God, know His love for us, speak with Him and hear from Him. And so like any relationship, it's mutual. It's going back and forth. You give, you take, you listen and you learn. And you learn to grow and love in that affection. That's how Jesus can say in the earlier chapters, 15, 2, 4, and, and 8, we can grow, we can bear more fruit. That is the relationship growing. And so how do we do that? How can we actually deepen our relationship? How do we abide and remain in Him? It's knowing God's Word and obeying God's Word. You see it in verse 7. There's this parallel, abide in me and my words abide in you. Jesus remains in you when his word is in you. When you know his word. If you're connected to the vine, if you are united to Jesus, you remain in him by having his word remain in you. But it doesn't stop there. You've got to obey it. And so we get to the second point, a love that obeys. Look at what it says in verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. We abide, we remain in Jesus as we obey. If we obey Christ's commands, we remain in His love. And we do it because He's actually done it before us. In fact, that is the only reason we have any ability that we can even attempt to do it is because he's gone and he's done it before us and he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to even be able to attempt that. You know, that's the same power that enabled Jesus in the garden to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. If you can take this from me, take it. But I will do what you say. It's the same power that rose Christ from the grave. That is the power that is within you, within each and every one of you, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And people struggle with Christianity because, you know, like, this seems a bit too restrictive. A bunch of bigots. But actually, restrictions are good. Restrictions are healthy. Say I buy, go and buy a, a piece of property up and it's ne- right next to the pack highway. The first thing I'm going to do with Billy and another baby about to be running around is put up a fence. The first thing I'm going to do is put up a fence. And why? So my kids can stay protected. You know, it's like this whole COVID situation that we've been facing. We had really, really tough restrictions to start off with. But look where we are now. We're almost back to normal. Look at the states. Not a lot of heavy restrictions early on. Pushing back against them pretty heavily. And the consequence, hundreds and thousands of deaths. And see, that's what God's commands are like. That's what he's saying. This is a good fence. It's a good restriction. It's setting the boundary for you. And here's the deal. If you stay inside it, you can be joyful. You can love. We can have a great relationship. But if you step outside it, you could be lost. And I love you far too much to lose you. Now, what happens in some Christian circles and what some of us may have even experienced is fences within fences, within fences, within fences. You know, that's actually what we call legalism. That's following rules to be saved. That's not what this passage is saying. That's not what the Bible says. We're saved by grace, grace alone. It's because of that grace, because of that love that we flow out and we want to stay within the fence. You know, Billy can't understand the goodness of a fence, the power of a fence that he has in his yard. He doesn't understand what a car can do to him. And for many of us, we struggle to grapple with some of the things we read in the Bible. But it's God's word that keeps us safe, that keeps us on this right path. So despite thinking that we know best, it's a reminder that we trust in our God. It brings us to humility. He knows what's best for us as a loving father. So we remain in God's love. We remain in the fence for our safety and for God's glory. Doesn't that just make sense? I thought it just made sense. You know, if you love God, you keep his commandments. They're a reflection of who he is. You know, he's holy, pure, good, just, righteous, yada, yada, yada. And he commands us to be the same. He commands us to be the same. And so if you say, nah, nah, not really my thing. But I still love you, God. I still love you, but these aren't my thing. It's not my thing. You've missed the point. Totally missed the point. These commands are a very reflection of our Lord, our God's Savior's character. If you truly love God, you will want to be as He is. And so you must hear the Word. You must obey this Word, and we remain. That's how we remain in His love. And so that's why he says in verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We have a love that fulfills. Our joy is completed in the Lord. Listen again, verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy, my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This isn't any kind of joy. This is Christ's joy. 
It's not the same as happiness. It's not the same as excitement. It's not the, the pleasure of a, an easy life. It's the joy that comes from being right with God and consciously walking in his love and his care. You know, it's the joy we hear in, in the Psalm 16. Psalm 16 verse 11 basically says, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures evermore. And there's a vast, vast difference. We, we all know between joy and happiness. But this world today, mad pursuit. It's in a mad pursuit for happiness. But happiness is just an experience of emotions. It's an experience of emotions, but joy is an experience of the spirit. Because happiness is in this realm of emotions, it's variable. It fluctuates. A person can go from happiness to tears in two seconds. I'm married to a pregnant woman. If it depended on our circumstances and our emotions, we would all be absolute wrecks. It's like Billy, little kids, happy and laughing, two seconds later, crying, tears, and I have no clue what's going on. None, no apparent reasons. But that's why the Lord doesn't promise happiness. It doesn't last. Happiness doesn't last. He promises joy because that's an experience deep of the Spirit. It's, it's deeper than the level of emotions. It's an abiding joy. And though the outward circumstances of my life may change, because I have a deep joy, it's constant. And right now, you may be going through a deep, deep valley. You know, God may be pruning you right now. But he is the vine dresser. He knows exactly the perfect cut. Not too much, not too little. Just enough so that you bear much fruit. And God wants you to have joy. That's why he's told you about remaining in his love, listening to the word, obeying the word of God. God wants us to have joy. But that joy comes through pursuing a relationship through the word and the power of the Holy Spirit that he has placed inside Ephraim 1.5. That he's placed inside of us so that we may fight the flesh, that we may fight sin. Like that Romans passage we started with. And so if you are here this morning and you're serious about knowing our God, if you're serious about having more of Jesus, in your life, then you need to be serious about having more of the Bible printed on your heart, on your tongue, in your mind. And you need to be serious about obeying the Lord as we remain in that love. You know, I've got a goal to be like Jesus. We should all have a goal to be like Jesus, but I tell you what, I stuff up regularly. I stuffed up even this morning, frustrated at technology. And sometimes it's a little bit of a stumble. Sometimes it's a bit more of a trip. Many times it's an awe, earth-shattering fall, chin on the ground, arms flailing around. But even arguably the greatest Christian of all, Paul, he says this. Let's be honest. In Romans 7, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I actually do. Anybody relate? Oh man, I relate. <laughs> it seems like time and time again, I am dragged towards this thing that isn't glorifying God. 
I'm dragged towards the thing that isn't good for me, that is actually destructive. And I hate it. But friends, Christian maturity, Christian maturity is remaining God's love. It's obeying Him in that. But it's also being mindful that we are in a process. Each and every one of us is in a process. We're constantly needing to be pruned, needing to be refined. And again, I've said this before, if you are satisfied with your Christian life right now, you haven't got it. We have perfection in the future, and right now we are not there. Don't aim low. Christian maturity is this slow shift, very slow shift, for me anyway, from independence to dependence. The more mature you become, the more dependent you become, the more joyfully dependent that you become on God. That's the more that we forsake those delusions of our independence, that we rest in God's love given to us on the cross. That's the more that we're able to rest in the power of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit to obey. That's the only way we can obey anyway. And at the end of the day, it's the classic questions that are fundamental here. When you compare your time, how much of that is spent looking after yourself? looking after your friends, your family, your work. And then divvy that up and how much time do you actually spend in the Word every day? Spending, speaking to the Lord every day. For most of us, for me, it's worryingly, worryingly low. We should be in that Word, saturated by it, hours a day. To develop a relationship, you need to put in time. You need to talk, you need to listen, it's give and it's take. And yet we all fall into this trap of, yeah, yeah, it's obedience. It's good, it's good, but not for me. And yet at the same time, we also evaluate ourselves a little better than we should. We're all prone to bump the numbers a bit. But with that, undoubtedly goes hand in hand with obedience, being aware of that sin. Like we said in the confession today, it's being aware of it, it's repenting of it, it's confessing it. It's not just confessing it, but it's moving away. It's distancing yourself. So here are just a couple of things I'd suggest, a couple of questions that maybe would be helpful. What are the sins that you're hiding? We all have them. I challenge you to bring them to the light. We are no longer walking in the dirt, in the darkness. We're no longer in the flesh. Repent and actually spend time sharing that with a brother and sister. Pray about it. Discuss it in Bible studies. That's what we do. That's what we gather for. We spend time in the Word. We share our struggles and we support each other. And we need to be talking about how we're going to do these things together. Christianity is not you by yourself. It is us in community. Are you reading the Bible? I know, that's easy to wash off, off your back. But are you reading the Bible? Are you in the Word? I challenge you, ask someone after church. Ask someone after this gathering, are you reading the Bible? How is that affecting you? We need to encourage one another and remain in God's love through how he speaks to us. And then when something's pointed out to you, when a sin's pointed out to you in your life, how do you respond? Can't become defensive? Tell you what happens to me. I can justify this. I can defend myself. We all hate to be wrong. We all hate being wrong. How quickly do you repent? You know, when people repent quickly, generally, there's a parallel between how sensitive that person is to walking 
the Lord, to being in the Lord. And the great assurance, even though we continue to stumble and fall, Jesus has gone before. He has perfected obedience for us so that we can still be seen as righteous in him. And friends, we are in this glorious position on this side of the cross, knowing that the Lord Jesus knows everything you are facing right now. He knows exactly where your heart is at and he reaches out and he grips you and he's calling you back to his love. Remain in me. Let us fully surrender and remain in God's love. Living a life that is so full of love that we obey in the power of the Spirit. Being filled with joy knowing that in all these things we are adopted by God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is both thrilling and humbling to know that Christ loves the church with the same profound passion that he loves his son. It staggers us to realize how deeply we are loved by you and Jesus. And Father, I pray that we would remain in you and obey all you have taught us. Thank you for the Lord. Thank you for the joy that is ours, knowing that we have this strength. And I pray that we would become more and more like you as we remain in your love. In Jesus' name.